This is Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. I'm Chris Fitch. A few years ago, the Financial Times reported under the headline, Decline in Human Empathy is Creating Global Risks, that levels of societal empathy had plummeted in the last three decades. And we urgently needed a new age of empathy to avoid a prolonged epoch of anger. But although very much thought-provoking, what the article didn't do was explain just what empathy was. Nor did it outline how having more empathy would make our everyday lives practically better. And most importantly, it didn't address how we're all going to suddenly become more empathetic. So in this episode of Vulnerability Matters, we're going to look at whether it's possible to train people to become more empathetic and whether signing up for one of the now countless number of empathy training courses is ever a worthwhile investment in terms of time, money and results for our organizations and staff. Helping us to pick through all these uh, knotty issues today is Matthew Lejeunt, who is Associate Professor at Toronto Metropolitan University, Director of the Consumer Neuroscience Laboratory, known affectionately in Canada as the EMO Lab, and lead author of a new review of the existing scientific literature on the effectiveness of empathy training. So in this episode, I asked Matthew just what is empathy? Can we really train people to become more empathetic? And whether it is commercially realistic for a new organisation to embrace empathy? Matthew, uh, welcome to Vulnerability Matters. Uh, how are you and where in the world are you today? Hi, Chris. I'm doing well and thank you very much for having me today. I'm currently located in Toronto, Canada at the Ted Rogers School of Management. Fantastic. I'm really, really pleased to have you on this. been very much looking forward to this conversation. So let's start with the basics. Uh, what is empathy? And why is everyone so interested in it now? So from an academic standpoint, empathy uh, refers to our capacity to share and to feel others' emotions. But uh, it's also interesting to consider empathy as a component of what we call social cognition, where we will combine uh, empathy and also what is called theory of mind, our capacity to take other perspectives and empathy and theory of mind, uh, they are the two components that are necessary to develop empathetic concern, also known as compassion and pro-social behaviors. So in terms of why empathy is becoming uh, a very hot topic nowadays, especially uh, in the organizations, I would say that there are different uh, explanations. So first of all, we might consider that management practices uh, have evolved from kind of abusive leadership to a more compassionate approach with uh, with employees. I think it is also related to uh, social changes that we can observe in our society, uh, boosted by emancipation movements uh, against sexism and racism, for instance, that have highlighted the need for a more inclusive and more respectful uh, work environment, but also a, a more uh, uh, inclusive society as well. You might consider that the increasing application of EDI policies in various organizations also contributes to considering the role of empathy in social relationships. Um, so 
I think the fact that our society is almost diverse, uh, that also new generation aspirations and concerns differ from the older ones. So being respected and acknowledged in the workplace and more globally in our society is very important. But we we started to see a real interest in it, didn't we, in terms of uh, corporate organizations, commercial organizations. In in your article, uh, which we're drawing on uh, today, your systematic review, you talked a bit about um, employees. Was it at, at Starbucks or one of the uh, one of the coffee shops? Yeah, there was a. Um, a case uh, that happened in the U.S. in 20, 2017, I guess, in Philadelphia, where two black customers um, show up in a Starbucks uh, coffee shop and uh, the clerk assumed that they were uh, robbers and they called the police and the two customers were handcuffed and put, put in custody for nothing. And um, so there were uh, an outrage in the society. People... Um, um, complaining about such a racist behavior that is uh, very problematic, especially in the U.S. society. And um, as a response, the CEO of Starbucks decided that it was time to train all the frontline employees to be more empathetic and also to relate to their customers and to take their perspective and to see how they perceive uh, the same environment from their standpoint. And this this is something um, that is not confined to this uh, one one coffee shop um, chain. This is something we've seen uh, as as a global movement. Uh, we've certainly seen it in the UK. And your team at the University of Toronto have been reviewing the effectiveness of what's called uh, empathy training. So, what is empathy training? What does it aim to do? And how did you go about reviewing the evidence for this? So empathy training could be defined as a hands-on course uh, to develop empathic skills. Point is, as human beings, we are all um, required to develop these empathic skills. Uh, actually, uh, when a baby interacts with the parents, uh, depending on the situation and the reaction of the parents, the facial expressions, the tone of the voice, uh, the body gestures, that's the way we learn to empathize with others. And then we learn to associate specific events, specific situations with specific emotional tone. And how do we react to those situations? So we, we are uh, um, made to develop these empathic skills. But there is a huge difference between being empathetic with our relatives on a daily basis and use empathy as a professional asset all day long when you interact with customers for several hours every day uh, uh, every week of the year. So the point of empathy training is to go above this, I would say this natural capacity to be empathetic and to use empathy as professional skills to reach specific goals in the company. And we can get the full details in the paper, which is in the uh, public uh, public library of science one. Um, we, we'll include the link in the podcast description, but you looked at evidence from 2009 uh, to 2022 across a range of different scientific databases. So let, let, let's jump in to the findings. So across the studies you reviewed, uh, were you able to identify the reasons why organizations were investing in empathy training? Yeah, so I, I can say that there are two main motivations. First, from a service user perspective, um, as I said, people now expect to have a more empathetic relationship with brands and organizations. 
So it it, it is important to uh, like increase the service quality and the satisfaction of those service users. It's not only the service per se or the product per se that you distribute or sell to the customers, but that's also the way you communicate with the customers. It's called interactional justice. How, uh, you know, about respect, politeness, acknowledging uh, people's feelings and so on. So the way you convey the message, the way you interact with customers is also very important to increase the service quality because eventually, as we all know, we go on the internet to evaluate those companies and those organizations. So even if your product is, is a good product, is a good quality product, or the service is, a, is an efficient service, at some point, the way you co-construct uh, the service with the customers is also very important. So that's one point. On the frontline workers' perspective, what we see as well is that service interactions are more and more emotional. And uh, the emotional burden that frontline, uh, frontline workers have to deal with every day at some point, increase the risk of emotional exhaustions and burnout. And that causes a lot of problems for organizations, especially because of high turnover. You have to train again new employee and, and you know, to monitor their performance again and again. So um, I think at some point, empathy training is also to help frontline workers to regulate their emotions, how to use empathy as a skill. Uh, to get information from the service users and to adapt and to customize the service interaction with the service users. You increase the service quality, but you also protect and, and increase the frontline workers' capacity to deal with emotional situations and then to avoid the risk of burnout. I think that's really important. We often use the, uh, uh, the term emotional labor, the labor yeah. that we're doing. It's a very good book by uh, Joe DeVille about the emotional labor of debt collection and the stress that it can place upon the, uh, the the staff member, as well, of course, the uh, the stress that it can place uh, upon the, the the customer. I was really struck in in, in your paper that um, often, just like wider media, um, those organisations that are investing in, in empathy training. I think was it half didn't define what empathy was. I was really struck by that. Could you say a bit more? Yeah, that, that was one of the most surprising results we get from the systematic review is that uh, you might assume that if you're developing an empathy training at some point, you would define what empathy is. And then based on this definition, it doesn't mean that it has to be an academic definition, but at least just, you know, to uh, lay the ground, say, okay, that's our understanding of empathy. And based on this shared uh, understanding, that's how we're going to develop the empathy training. But actually... Uh, we reviewed 44 papers and more than half of those papers didn't provide any definition of empathy. So it might sound overly academic, you know, uh, as, a, as a, a problem, but actually it's a problem because depending on how you define empathy, your empathy training would be completely different. For instance, uh, you might have an empathy training that focuses a lot on the cognitive aspect of empathy, which is great in a sense because you can increase your capacity to take others' perspective but you are also missing the other part of the process, which is sharing others' emotions. And em empathy and developing pro-social behaviors is the interaction of sharing and understanding others' emotions. So if you increase the capacity to take the other perspective without increasing the capacity to share others' emotions, you're creating an imbalance in this empathy capacity. Mm -hmm. But the other way around as well, like if you're increasing too much on the capacity to share others' emotion without giving the tools 
to understand why customers or service users have those emotions and how you can support those customers, you're also creating a balance that eventually will be a problem for both the service users, but also the frontline workers. So defining empathy, uh, I mean, the, the fact that they did not define empathy is a kind of a problem. And we, we, we see this in uh, in conversations about empathy all of the time uh, that people are talking about. We need to be more empathetic. Uh, we need more empathy in our organization, but people don't unpack it. Let's drill down, shall we? Let's get into the, the major headline on effectiveness, because I'm sure everyone wants to know. Um, I'm I'm using the broad term empathy training, but clearly all the training programs reviewed weren't, weren't identical. Um, but what, how effective is empathy training? So, yes, based on the review, we found that uh, 70% of the studies we have reviewed provide positive and significant effect on empathy capacity. And those results uh, consider the service user's perspective and the frontline worker's perspective as well. So from the service user's perspective, um, service users report more satisfaction, uh, a higher perceived service quality, uh, intend to uh, reconnect with the organization and so on. On the frontline workers' perspective, um, service providers, they uh, also show um, more emotional support, but they're also more capable at regulating their emotions and eventually get more satisfaction in their job. So 70% of the papers provide those significant results, which is uh, uh, interesting. But what we should consider as well is that every service settings is different. And then you cannot assume that one empathy training will be fine for every service settings. So what we found is that the results, they are related to very specific service uh, interactions. One of the thing is what kind of emotions customers or service users used to have in those service interactions. In health services is very different from uh, telecommunication services. The way you deal with the customers complaining about an internet uh, issue is not the same way that you will interact with a patient who has been diagnosed with a cancer and that asking question for the treatment. So empathy training has to be uh, customized depending on the service settings, the customers or service users' emotional experience, because every emotion will elicit different type of expectation. No, absolutely. And as we, we, were, we were saying there, the training programs were different. Does the format or length of the training, how it's done, have any impact on the effectiveness of the training as well? Um, yes. So that, that that question specifically, we do not have enough data to, to have a, like a definitive answer. But I think the point is to, um, there is no norm about empathy training. You know, there is no... Uh, um, like handbook about empathy training that you can just apply to any service situations. What we found in the in the systematic review is that the majority of the studies they are in-house training. So it's mostly physicians who uh, implement, develop, and implement empathy training for the colleagues inside of the hospital, and they will deal with very specific situation they used to deal every day. So they will, for instance, uh, recollect events that happened in the past weeks, months, and then they will work on those events. They will um, um, like play with characters, the same situation and say, okay, 
that's how we have reacted. That's how we should react. And then they will adapt their training based on those uh, um, actual situation they have experienced in the past. So that that makes sense, but that's also uh, a limitation in the sense that there is no standardized empathy training that you can relate and then consider that, okay, this is the norm. How do we deviate from the norm? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it far from what we used to do or no? It really depends on the on the service settings. We have this, uh, a similar concept within essential services or financial services where we have um, call calibration, where teams or managers might listen to previous calls, good calls, bad calls, to look for things that can be can be improved. So some read across. But what what's really interesting there, Matthew, is um, the studies were, although the studies were conducted across five different continents in your review, um, all of the published review training was in the health sector. So does, does, does that have limitations then for the conclusions we can draw for other sectors um, that we're talking about today? So that's an interesting question because we uh, we had a kind of fight with reviewers of the paper. They said, that, well, your goal was to uh, uh, review empathy training in different types of service settings, but eventually, here you go, you have only papers coming from the health sector. And then I argued with the with the reviewers, say, well, the point is, if you look at service interaction in for-profit organizations, you still need to be uh, to have an active listening to take the customer's perspective, to uh, empathize with the customer, sometimes as well to provide emotional support. So the final goal of those interactions is not the same. Obviously, as I said, you don't deal with customers complaining about internet issues than you will deal with a patient in a healthcare service, obviously. But the skills that required to deal with this uh, interaction with customers or, or patients eventually is the same. So there are two different things. There are the competencies that you develop and there is the, I would say the, the course material, the scenarios, the simulation that you use to develop those skills. Mm. So um, even if there is no, at, at least nowadays, there is no uh, norm for empathy training, we can identify few, um, uh, I would say dimensions or components that should be there in every empathy training. First mm. of all, is to have this balance between affective and cognitive empathy. The other thing is to adapt the empathy training to the emotional experience of the customers. A customer who manifests anxiety will not expect the same support than a customer who uh, is uh, angry, for instance. It's, it's two, two negative emotions, but they elicit two different expectations in terms of emotional support and cognitive support as well. So this need of adaptation is very important. Um, but eventually, the capacity to be uh, um, active in the listening, to take the customer's perspective, to acknowledge their emotion and to customize the interaction and the solution you provide to the customer based on those information, it's still it's still the same no matter what's the sector you work in. So we're saying there's something in empathy training. You, you, when you talked about the 70% of uh, studies where there seemed to be some, some form of effect or some form of um, change or, or impact. So just building what we were talking about there a second, it's a similar question, but let's open it up a little bit. In terms of practical recommendations, people are listening and thinking, okay, what should my organization do differently then in terms of commissioning, 
designing or running empathy training? What what would your recommendations be? Um, so, first of all, I will say that it, it is very important to keep in mind something that sounds obvious, but is for some reason uh, overlooked. Emotion and empathy work together. And it's impossible to develop an empathy training if you do not consider what the emotion people are supposed to share and to understand. And, and again, depending on the service settings, you have more anxiety or more anger or more stress or more sadness, or it can be also positive emotions, you know? So what is the emotional tone that uh, um, structure the service interactions in your sector? What kind of, of customers or service users you used to deal every day? And what's the, the emotional tone of the complaint or the request? Because depending on this emotional experience, this, the, the empathy training would be different. Um, one of the things as well that uh, uh, auditors should, should understand about uh, empathy training is all the unconscious biases that can, um, um, I would say, spoil the empathic process. We are all biased. Uh, and empathy specifically uh, can be um, uh, biased depending on uh, if you relate to the customer because you share the same gender, the same culture, the same age group, the same uh, uh, um, I don't know, preferences for anything, you know? So mm. this kind of biases will uh, uh, spoil the empathy process. Another thing from an organizational perspective, um, as you know, more and more frontline workers, they are scripted in their response to the customers. And that's a huge problem. Because what I have found is that usually organization will ask the frontline workers to be empathetic with the, with the customers, but at the same time, because of the need for standardization and, and control of the quality and so on, they will ask the frontline workers to follow the script. And you can't be empathetic and provide pro-social responses if you're scripted. That's impossible because empathy is all about customization. The thing is that if you ask your frontline workers to be empathetic, but eventually say, oh, by the way, you can be empathetic, but there is no way that you can customize your solution. You have to follow the script. You put people in a situation that is emotionally exhausting because they are developing this empathic capacity. They are sharing customers' emotions, but how they can relieve this emotional burden is by providing a solution that will uh, um, provide relief to the customers. Mm, no, absolutely. In the UK, many firms have tried to move away from a script-based uh, approach, although there are certain elements where legal or regulatory required wording uh, is has to be kind of read exactly, and that, that can lead to awkward interactions. Uh, Matthew, thank you ever so much. It was absolutely terrific. And that was Associate Professor Mathieu Lejeunte. If you're interested in Mathieu's review, its full title is Empathy Training for Service Employees, a Mixed Methods Systematic Review, and it's in the Journal of the Public Library of Science 1. You can also find out more about Mathieu's consumer work by simply searching for Emo Lab on LinkedIn. As ever, if you have a question or comment for Mathieu, then send me your question right now via LinkedIn, just search Chris Fitch, and you can win a highly prized Vulnerability Matters mug. Okay, that's it for today. So thanks again for listening. And until our next conversation, spread the word about the podcast, stay empathetic, and keep on remembering that Vulnerability Matters.
Vulnerability Matters was produced by Mandy McGreevy and Phil King and brought to you by the Money Advice Trust.